0: Good morning, everybody. Um, I'd just like to start by, you know, by saying that uh, going into my 21st year, uh, both Mickey and I, and, uh, and you know, without a doubt, nothing's changed from the standpoint of you know what our philosophy is year in and year out, you know you know, why he bought the franchise, why I came here. And, you know, what we try to accomplish is that every single year, regardless of what the team looks like, (laughs) we always come to win a championship. I don't care what the odds are. I don't care what the prognosticators say. Um, That's always been our our goal and our objective and – that's never changed, and over those twenty years, we truly have established what I think are, you know, great procedures, standards, policies, practices. You know, all of those things that I think an organization is built on, and you know, try to keep them going. Sometimes you have to reframe them. Uh, the policy book is a little frayed at the edges after a while. Sometimes when you keep pulling it out and reading it, and and so we will continue, and that's what our job is right now is to continue to try uh, to do that. So, you know, right after we were eliminated from the playoffs, uh, you know, the phase uh, of uh, of kicking into the twenty fifteen twenty sixteen season started. So that's where we are.
1: Pat, there was a common theme late in the season. If you had won any of the games of Milwaukee, Detroit, Chicago, when huge leads were blown, you would have been in the playoffs. So my question to you is, when you looked at those games, what did you see as a failing then? What do you see as a way to remedy it? And how troubling was it to be so up very late in games like that and wind up giving them all away? Uh,
0: um, Losing any game where you have a double-digit lead uh, is disconcerting but then you can go back and yeah you know, it's a very small sample size uh it happened at the wrong time I, I think more than anything else it happened at the wrong time uh in the last 12 or 13 games of the season uh, you know but if you go back you know throughout the course of the season uh there were other games like that but there are also other games that we came back and we won that we probably shouldn't have won you know just take a look at the henry walker game <laughs> against, uh, you know, Orlando. So uh, yeah, I understand, Ira, where you're coming from with that. And obviously, in spite of all the adversity, there's not a person in the organization that doesn't think we should have made the playoffs. So from that standpoint, uh, whether it was those games or earlier games or or something else that happened, uh, you fight through adversity all year long, it... Uh, it strengthens the core and it in uh, you know the armor and what you wish to come out of that is something that's positive which is the first round of the playoffs that didn't happen uh, I'm moving on uh, I have no regrets and I don't think coach does I don't think Mickey does but because if you start you know hanging on to all that stuff you just you know you'll just continue to beat yourself up so you know I think, you know, I think I told Eric to go beat himself up for a good week. And if he didn't want to, I'd help him. You know, that's what you do.
1: <laughs> you know, so, you know, and I think he's done with that and we're moving on. And just to follow that up, though, obviously you're in charge of the coaching staff is the next level. Were there times during or after those games, I guess after is the better way to phrase it, where you thought something different or better could have been done, that if it happens one time, that's one thing. If it happens two times, that's a couple of things. But the fact is it did happen in such critical games at such critical times. How involved were you with that after those games? Uh, I sit
0: with the coaching staff uh, every night after every game. As a matter of fact, I'm the first one in head coach's office. I sit there in the corner. I'm sure there are some nights that he doesn't want me there when he walks through the door, but I'm there anyhow. And, and we sit there. And, and, you know, the guys that, that, that he relies on the most at that time, there's a 10- or 15-minute, you know, cool-down period. And, uh, and then there's a perspective about the game. So uh, what kind of conversations that Eric and I have, you know, based on you know, what might happen at the end of any game, uh, there's no doubt that we will have, you know, a candid discussion about that. Not then. Uh, probably the next morning or something. Uh, But uh, I'm good at writing notes. Um, I've been in that trench before. Uh, And so, yeah, I see everything. He knows I see everything. And and I think from that standpoint, uh, you know, we're on the same page. But I I like him as, you know, I'm an ex-coach. You know, I can relate to that moment more than than anybody else. And so I know just how, how difficult it is
1: sometimes. Pat, you lost, obviously you lost half the locker room in July <coughs> with all the changes, and then you lost Josh, you lost Chris in a really scary way midway yep. through the year. I know this is teetering on the line of excuses that you don't make, but how tempted are you just to look at all of the injuries, the Chris situation, all of that, and just just forget it? just kind of wipe it away and not try to go solve it, just, mm-hmm. just chalk it up as, as an abnormality, chalk it up as an anomaly, and just move on to the next year. If Is you see
0: me leaning my head to the left, then you know that's my most comfortable position right now because I have a sciatic nerve coming out of my cervical, you know, you know up here. That's killing me. So, But I'm not going to make an excuse for it. But we just did talk about it. <laughs> so <laughs> the narrative was set, you know, back in, in October. And I think the narrative, you know, that that uh, about injuries, uh, which were real, and they are every year with every team. Something happens. Uh, the top three teams in the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals, at least three of them that, that are not in the playoffs. Indiana and, and Oklahoma City and Miami all had major losses to key players, and you know, they didn't make it. So losing a transcendent player is going to be difficult, and then losing others along the way for indefinite periods of times uh, makes it even more difficult because there's constant change going on and a lack of continuity. Uh, but I do believe the narrative of, of the constant uh, talking, uh, writing, writing, Reading, disseminating information, you know, social media grabs onto somebody with a hangnail and then it's two weeks you know, that they're going to miss or something is totally out of hand. And that has to be stopped, you know. So I would always take the narrative of, you know, what, you know, I'm just picking out a name, you know, if somebody would ask Kobe Bryant uh, or any other player of his ilk about. Whatever happened to him, he would probably tell them to go f themselves. I'm fine, you know. I mean, I watch Larry Bird lay on his back <laughs> in playoff games, and I know how how injured he was. And when he was asked a question about it, he would say the same thing. He just, I'm fine. And that's just not the way it is today. I think throughout the league, this is a league-wide problem. This is a – it's not a media problem. It's what you are write about. It's what's happening. And, but if they ever did anything and they wanted to try to improve, uh, you know, the situation with every team as to, you know, why these injuries happen, why players miss games, why the narrative is so loud uh, and that it creeps into the subconscious of the athlete – that the athlete also becomes a little bit weaker in his mental uh, toughness uh, to stay the course on what really is an injury and what is a debilitating injury. And so, you know, we get to the point where every night where there's – you don't even know who you're going to play, even on a good, healthy team because they're always saying, well, this guy is questionable or this guy is whatever. And and so I'd like to try and, uh, you know, change the narrative, you know, for our team and, you know, get back to the reality of what – of what being a professional athlete is all about is that's what it's about. And being a professional athlete is that you're not going to always feel well and you're not going to always be at 100% and you might be at 90% or 80%. And uh I would always ask that player, you know, when I coach, can you give me one minute or two minutes or can you give me an out of bounds pass or you know, can you give me a hard foul or whatever it is? And and I I don't think uh, the modern-day athlete has that state of mind. Pat, last year you – Joe, he's been trying to get in there. Have you been? You forgetting this guy in the front row over here? Go ahead. Pat, you found this jewel in Hassan Whiteside at center. So now going forward, how are you going to build a team around this player that I know you like? Yeah. First of all, we didn't find him. He was out there for everybody. We were very fortunate. You know, he slipped through the cracks, and he was ready. Uh, I remember, by, uh, as I said, I think somewhere during the regular season, I talked about this. Uh, uh, reading the uh, the NBA DL box scores, and, and, and you know, he was loading up the box scores with outrageous numbers. And we brought him in, gave him a workout, let him go home, and he and Memphis signed him. And I thought he was gone. And then they waived him, and we got him back sent him down, uh, and he had another outrageous game, and we signed him. So we were very, very fortunate, Joe, to be able to be the one that said, okay, let's sign him to a contract. And we didn't develop Hassan. You know, he just all of a sudden started to load up the box score, and everybody, you know, had the blue book on him based on, you know, who he was or what they thought he was, uh, you know, three, four, five years ago. And so... We're very fortunate that he that he you know slipped through the cracks, and now he's he's under contract to us, and and I don't think there's any doubt that Eric is going to you know to really look at what he can do uh, for this player besides just have him as a seven foot uh, pick and roll lob dunk dish dunk you know second shots dunk player. I think he could be a formidable. Uh, presence and a formidable option in the offense and he's already you know talking about it and very excited about trying to implement you know whatever he does in in a pace game to to not pass him by you know three or four times and so he also has to take the attitude of somebody like Alonzo Mourning you know that if he didn't get a touch four times down the court he'd put his big massive hands around my neck he would either verbally or physically and and look at me, <laughs> you know the way Zoe would look at you, and I said, "Okay, fist up, you know, or something." But uh, we're be- we feel very fortunate to be able to uh, to have a son. It, it's almost like having a lottery pick, you know that that uh, that's here with us right now.
1: Pat, last year at your season-ending press conference, you challenged Spoh and Dwayne to reinvent themselves. I'd like to know how you feel each of them did that.
0: Reinvent. I think that word's now been overused. We have to go to another word. You know, I I, I know Spoke gave everybody a book on reinventing, and and I do think that. Yes, I, I you know I get caught up in into the same mindset as, as he does, and but self improvement and looking at yourself hard uh, and fast every day in the mirror and say, okay, what can I do better? You know, do you have to change your personality? Do you have to change your look? You know, do you dye your hair? Do you, you know, whatever it is? I don't know. Do you yell louder, scream, whatever it is? I mean, reinventing yourself is is taking a hard look and saying, what can I do to improve? You know, what I do, you know, as a head coach or as a president or as anybody, uh, to bring something different, you know, to the table next year that will make uh, the results a lot different. So. Uh, you know, I challenge myself more than anybody else. You know, to make sure that uh, that what happened this year won't happen again.
1: Pat, it might sound hubris. You're out of the playoffs, and uh, think you can contend next year. But when you look at all the pieces coming back, where do you <clears throat> see it all fitting together?
0: So where you are a year from now? Uh, in my experience, uh, you know, I ended up facing a couple of teams in the playoffs that had major injuries during the regular season and finished like in the eighth spot, like on the last day or the last week and knocked us out in the first round. Uh, that wasn't their team. That wasn't. They were not an eighth seed, and I don't think we were either. Uh, I think that's now hopefully on May the 19th, you know, that we don't have any more, you know, buzzards luck, <laughs> you know, along the way is that we're not, you know, the 30th worst team in this league if everybody, you know, was standing strong. So, you know, I I look at us as being somebody that probably should have the 22nd or 21st or 23rd pick, and I will gladly next year send that to Philly if that's possible. So, you know, I would love to see standing strong Lul Dang, Son Whiteside, you know, Chris Bosch, you know, Goran Dragic, Dwayne Wade, you know, Mario Chalmers coming off the bench, you know, with Josh McRoberts, you know, Chris, healthy, you know, UD, uh, the 10th pick, or whoever that might be, whatever that turns out to be. And, and some of our younger players, you know, if you really want to take a look at, at what the draft produces every year, I think in the first round, Jabari, oh, it was it Parker from Milwaukee? Yeah. I've already Parker from Milwaukee and Marcus Smart were on the only teams that really are in the playoffs. Not one other pick in the first round, or even second round picks are on teams that were in the playoffs. Maybe they might be on the team, but they're not playing. And so you gotta catch something, you know, that can be above and beyond and like we caught in Cron Butler and Dwayne Wade and and in, even in my opinion, you know, with Mike, uh, you know, very talented players. And so this is the, uh, the fourth time we've been in the lottery, and we hope that we can catch, you know, a player that will go with, you know, those guys and help us win.
1: Coach, is there a specific type of player that you're targeting in the draft, or a specific need that you think that you can fill from the draft?
0: If you watch Golden State play – Okay, and I know I know what's on Coach's mind as to what you know what he wants to formulate you know with this team, and I agree with him wholeheartedly because you know, I started my career as a fast break coach, but also had you know incredible players that could complement the one guy that could make it work, and we also had a force in the middle that could finish up anything that looked ugly, and so um, if you watch Golden State. They don't have a plethora of three-point shooters around Curry and Klay Thompson. You know, Klay Thompson and Stephon Curry, they're everything. (laughs) They're the most complete, you know, backcourt in the league. Not only are they, you know, they're ball handlers, catch-and-shoot players, you know, playmakers, but they're they're both the main long-distance weapon for that team. A lot of times you can have a player – or two players that are playmakers, and your best playmakers, and your best scores, but they might not have that kind of range or that kind of game, and so you need to go out and now get two or three of those those kinds of players. And so, uh, while we felt we had enough, you know, maybe on the perimeter, uh, that might be an area that we look, but I don't want a one-dimensional guy. You know, you know, we'll call him, you know you know, you know, three P <laughs> D players, you know, guys that can make threes guys that are playmakers and guys that can defend. And so, and I'm not saying that the perimeter is what needs to be filled. We're going to take the best player that's available, available unless there's uh, somebody there we really like at a specific position.
1: Uh, Pat, have you gotten any sense yet from Luol whether he intends to opt in, and how much would the tax be consideration if you keep Luol if he stays, and you re-sign Gorin, you'll be probably well into the tax unless you uh, trade salary? Would that be a concern in terms of using a taxpayer's mid-level at that point, not getting too
0: deep into the tax? Well, I don't even want to get too deep into the question. I really don't right now, you know, be- because... You know, while I had dinner with Mickey the other night, uh, we didn't talk hardly at all about, you know, about, you know, what's coming up. We'll have those meetings. And, um, no, I have not gotten any indication, you know, from any of our players yet. Um, but there's more than enough time to discuss that and also the machinations of whatever the tax or the cap's going to be next year. You know, we're going to be conscious of that. But, you know, again, transcendent players, you know, Changes Mickey's mind very quick, you know. If if there's somebody out there like that,
1: Coach, can you um, just talk about uh, the fan base this year and how they came out to support the team and what Heat Nation really gave the players?
0: They were there every night because I was sitting right there with them, <laughs> you know, every night. And and I, I do believe they um, over the last four years. You know, were delivered um, with a a product that had tremendous excitement, anticipation, uh, always taking it right to the end, to the finals, uh, and I think that's in their blood now. Uh, they were very very supportive very loud very noisy coming you know every night and you know this is you know like some of the other teams in the league it's it's sort of a you know sometimes a late arriving crowd and like every single team in the league it's an early leaving crowd if you're down 10 with 4 minutes to go so i mean i don't want anybody to ever say yeah they get up and leave you know but our fan base is great they're really great and uh, I think the uh, the renewal on season tickets which is not my department is you know way way up there and everybody wants to come back for another look and and so you know even though you know the concept of heat life or that we moved not onto on even our you know into our you know our, our season ticket holders there isn't a place that I go really that somebody doesn't come up and say hey I'm a season ticket holder I mean, I could be in Missoula, Montana. I don't know why I'd be there. But I know somebody would go, I'm a season ticket holder. And then I would challenge him where he sits. You know, where do you sit? Okay, do you sit behind me? Do you sit behind the bench? you sit in the corner? Give me your section. Give me your number. And then you find out the truth. <laughs> but uh, they're a great base of, of fans. And we're proud to have them, believe me. Some of those nights that we had at home this year, you know, I coach in a couple of cities where I know what would have happened, and I'm not being negative about that, but there's there was a lot of patience this year with this team, and, and I think the fans understood exactly what we were
1: going through. Pat, you gave up an awful lot for Gorin on speculation, I guess, of an impending free agent, potential two lottery picks, depending how they fall. Do you have either a sense, do you have... Did you have an agreement or something, a man's agreement, gentleman's agreement, when Gorin came in? And and is there any chance in your mind, uh, a year ago you were talking about LeBron stay, continue the fight, that Gorin wouldn't stay and continue the fight? If he doesn't sign,
0: my ass is going to be in that seat next year, and I'll be writing about it. I'll be I'll be probably writing about it. <laughs> you know, so uh, we feel very confident that um, that you know we can uh, you know all of our free agents that that we have a great you know organization is a great city. Uh, there has not been any indication, any discussion at all with with he or his representatives about anything other than. When I when I made the trade and gave up two picks for him, you roll the dice, but you also feel good about, you know, the fact that, you know, we're in a very good position to offer him more than anybody else.
1: And then just cause there there were a bunch of moves that were made before LeBron's final decision. Do you feel this summer you will have more time to sort of work with a knowing going in of your game plan of what you're going to have. And might this make that a little bit different summer that you can look at specific needs, knowing pretty much what your, your roster board is going to look like.
0: Yes. Yeah. No more smiling faces with hidden agendas. Okay. So we'll be going in clean. Coach, you, you talked about the Golden State backcourt uh, a little while ago. What, what about Dwayne and Gorin with, with a training camp and, and what they had this year? What do, what do you see ahead for, for, for how that backcourt's going to look next year? Uh, I, I see um, you know, – Spo is very correct about what he said the other day, is that we're, we're a player development organization. And one of the reasons why we became an affiliate with Sioux Falls, you know, was for that possibility. Uh, You know, this year, three or four or five of those players, you know, kept making that sojourn back from, you know, Sioux Falls to Miami. And they helped us at times. Uh, I don't want that to be, you know, that to be the norm. Because if that's the norm, then you're not going anywhere. Uh, somewhere, one of those players will break through, you know, like Hassan. And but he will probably have been um, a developed player who simply uh, wasn't ready. And what we're looking for here on this team is a, a developed player, you know, you know, one through ten, you know, who you develop. And just because a guy is young, doesn't mean you know this is a player development organization. I mean, we develop all of our players. Even our veterans work, you know, on improving their game. And I think Dwayne talked a lot about that with his post game. So uh, if, in fact, uh, you know, all of the tea leaves, you know, I don't know, dc do say is a fall the my place or something like that, whatever. Uh, and, and we have a backcourt that, that we're thinking about that I'll, I'll, I'll feel very good about it. You know, from that standpoint, and, and and the opportunity for some of those younger guys that that got some significant player playing time. You know, you know, Shabazz and Tyler. You know, from that standpoint, uh, and others. You know, who will be out there in in that whole player pool, whether it's in the college draft or players who don't get drafted or European players. Or free agents, uh, there's always, in my mind, I, I just know there's a diamond in the rough out there, too. But we want developed players, experienced players. And and again, uh, every time you guys turn on the television and watch a playoff game, take a look who's out on the court. The top eight or nine guys, with the exception of maybe one or two. But the very, very best teams in this league are playing developed players that have had three or four years or five or ten years of experience, you know, playing for something that's significant. All right, Pat, you uh,
1: threw out a comment that I just got to ask for a follow-up on uh, no more smiling faces with hidden agendas. Um, oh,
0: that's, that could be for anybody across the board. I, and That's, that's <laughs> what like, I'm doing, my follow-up I mean, here. I get, I get, you know, agents and I get uh, – uh you know players i get you know parents uh i get everybody that that come across you know i mean i've already got about a half a dozen emails from people i don't even know recommending and somewhere you know in that email or that text is always a smiley they put it down there (laughs) you know so we all we all get that stuff you know
1: You have said once or twice, you've drawn the parallel between winning and misery and how there's really only two options. At, at this point, with nine rings and all you've done and all you've gone through, especially in the last five years, how does the misery still inspire?
0: You know, I, I made that statement a long time ago when, when it was really, you know, deep. I mean, I mean, you used to feel it deep like a knife anytime you lost you know, I just, that's the way it was when I was younger and, you know, trying to make it and all that stuff. So every loss I took very personal and, and, and that's the way it was. It just was. And now that it's sort of like, you know, part of the vocabulary, you know, of at least, you know, my, my being, it's, uh, you know, it still, it still stings, you know, it, it, it stings from that standpoint. So it always drives you from that standpoint. Failure will always, always drive you. And, and, but I'm also one of those guys that, that, and I think Eric is, and I think the owner is, and our players are, I I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear any excuses about anything. And, and I always felt that one of the greatest achievements on the part of anybody is through great adversity to win a championship. And, uh, or to win big, or do something above and beyond, and so trying to play above and beyond, and be and be above and beyond is is a goal of ours and mine. So the winning and misery thing is just the misery is a little bit more short-lived. You know, with a good cabernet and stuff after a game, it like goes a little faster.
1: You sort of addressed what I was going to ask, which was when LeBron left. It seemed like there was a focal message that we're not—I mean, it was said—we're not done yet, and and almost a uh, venting of we're going to get back. Do you feel the same way
0: now that you and the people at the top now that you did then? Well, you know, that being said, and the fact that it didn't happen—you know—we probably, obviously, if there wasn't that change. That sort of triggered a lot of other changes in our thinking in, in, in the direction we went, and then that it didn't trigger the, the injuries. I mean, injuries became part of the whole the whole year, and, and losing key players. Uh, this is where we are, you know. However, if in fact the the whole thing stayed the same, we'd probably be back where we're, we're supposed to be. But it didn't, so you know that's behind us. That's already 14 months ago, and uh, I think maybe not. Uh, but, uh, it's been a while and, uh, and, and we have, we have all moved on, you know, from it, from that standpoint. So, um, I do believe, and, and I made this statement earlier, and I think if you take a look at the depth chart, that, that we do have those developed players that have had significant roles other places and who are, and have had star years and have carried franchises, um, uh, at least two of our players have and and other players who have played in incredible roles somewhere else that you know you would like to see the team just one game, if you could have, intact to play one game. We never had a chance to see that that you know after after LeBron left so but but I think we, we we've gathered ourselves and then we went through um, you know a, a, a real disappointing year from the standpoint of, of setbacks, and so from that standpoint, uh, I think uh, we're happy as an organization with where we are. We'll be even happier with uh, with uh, the players that show up at training camp uh, in great shape and in great health, and and get through a year next year where there's a minimum of adversity. And uh, I think we'll be right back competing, uh, unlike a lot of people think we can. Pat, with all the injuries that Eric had to deal with, all the curveballs thrown his way, as a former coach, what was your opinion of all the challenges he had with 30 different lineups this season? He's like, uh, he, I think he expressed it. You know, it's like a puzzle, you know, every night, you know. The one thing a coach wants is that, and it's the easiest way to coach, is that once you come out of training camp and you set uh, a lineup, you know, based on offense and defense, um, then I think from that standpoint, you know who you're going to post with every night. You know, those five guys are going to you know start the game. And, and when the ball goes up, you hope that probably 90% of the time that that's going to be your starting lineup and you know who you're going to come off the bench with. And obviously this year he didn't have that at all. And so, you know, he wasn't making it up as he went along. He had to tweak, obviously, a lot of things, you know, within his game plans to, uh, to deal with the changes that that he was forced uh, to deal with, you know, from that standpoint. Pat, I wonder. I know it's been almost a year. If you've reached a point where you've, you're at peace with the way LeBron left. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I am I, at peace with it. We didn't get to ask about Dwayne.
1: Um, Obviously, he missed a lot of time last year for a maintenance program. This year, he missed more time, about a quarter of the schedule, due to actual injuries. You always talk about a player as he gets older, has to get in better shape, has to be better prepared, and things like that. Can you achieve your master plan if Dwayne Wade is going to miss a quarter of the season?
0: Um. Players today have a tendency to be able to play longer. You know, it's just the way it is. And if you, if you go back into the, into the 70s, you know, I, I saw all the great ones leave around 34, 35 years old because of injury or age or, or that's when you were supposed to retire. Very few, you know, played, you know, longer than that. I think over the last 30 or 40 years, with nutrition and with uh, training and with weights and you know different you know styles of of getting ready to play, uh, a player can uh, you know play a lot longer. There, there's no doubt that that we're going to need Dwayne, you know, every single night that he's available. He is uh, a great, great, great player and right up there, you know, in this organization, you know, I mean, you know, for the 12 years he's been here, uh, the best of the best. Uh, we had glimpses of Shaq and glimpses of LeBron and, you know, other players, but he's been the one truly great player along with Alonzo that, uh, that has been the, the bedrock of this team. And so uh, to answer your question, yes, we, uh, we're going to need him. And, and, and I think also with Dwayne, as I made a point earlier is he's got to change the narrative himself about his body and about his injuries and about his missing games. And, and, and we've had a discussion about this, but he always, you know, has to answer those questions. And I know those questions are legitimate because they're real, you know, and, and, so night in and night out, there's always the question of whether or not he can or he can't, and and so I'd like to have him try to get back, get past that first hurdle, you know, mentally, and do whatever he has to do to get himself ready to practice and himself ready to play, and uh, each and every night. And so he's got five months uh, to continue to work. And so this isn't just the Dwayne Wade problem; it's just throughout the league with a lot of players and. You know, just, you know, on your, your ten fingers, some of the greatest players in the league this year, you know, missed the entire season with injuries, and they're going to be facing the same kind of narrative. So, the player can control that if he chooses to, and but we're going to help him become, again, uh, uh, you know, the Dwayne Wade that we know that we can always depend on in the fourth quarter also. But, you know, take a look at his numbers this year. Uh, we don't have anybody like him, other than probably, you know, if in fact when, if in fact we're fortunate enough to have you know Gorn to be able to uh, uh, to score like that, or Chris, you know, in the fourth quarter, this is this is a, a it could be probably the greatest challenge in his career, and he's only 32 years old, I think. Maybe he's 33. We argued about that the other day in the exit meeting, and you know, everybody makes you older than you think you are than you are. People make me older than I am and i am 70 but they're always trying to make me older than i am they're always trying to ask me why why are you staying around this game and we're doing the same thing with him we're making him older than than what he is he's just he's had some issues he's going to deal with them and we're going to help him get strong and and uh, and have one of those career years i know he's capable of it Why did you just do that? You just made me older. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> huh? I love the game. I, I, I love the competition, and they all make me feel younger. You know. So I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's a great game, and and the challenge now to build this team with with a nice. You know, uh, you know, group of players. You know, with uh, I mean, if you look at Donovan's face and Wilson's face, and you know, think of those guys. I mean, Mariana, and take a look at uh, you know, Lissick over there. He's in the ticket business. When you look at these guys every day, how could you not want to stay here forever? You know. And they actually will buy. They, look at Donovan. He's so serious there, Tim. Will you pick up a check just one time? Next time, at, okay? You got it. <laughs> Thank you guys.
1: Okay.